Ladies and gentlemen, does anybody else find it weird that QR codes are still a thing? They, they, they seem a bit dated, but they're still about and about, and I keep constantly seeing them. It's weird. In other words, Pump Academy's Chuck the Bring Noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Chaya Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Um, yeah, man, it's been a bit of a bit of a bit of a bit of a crazy week in some way. Uh, you know, obviously uh, the Afghanistan stuff is still going on, and that's kind of all I see on the news now. Um, and it's kind of just. Uh, it's, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter about you know what I mean, and you know in some ways it's warranted right, um, but I'm kind of just wondering uh, what the continuation of that is going to be you know just okay guys we get it they they came they came through very fast and you didn't expect it and now you have until next Tuesday to get everybody of note out of there right. So, what happens after that? You know what I mean? Just is it just because <laughs> obviously, like you know, you see, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, on t- on Twitter a couple like a few days ago, there was a uh, I saw four lions, trending, uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, four lions. I love four lions. Why is this being talked about though? And it was just videos of like uh, Taliban doing just frankly comical shit like you know riding bumper cars or uh you know there was one where i saw literally literally nearly a spitting image of the scene in four lions where uh i forgot what's his name but i know it's riz ahmed but i forgot his character name um he basically they're in pakistan training right and uh this is this iconic scene right where he gets a rocket launcher and he's like oh my gosh i see some you know i see i see some people there uh, and they're like, we need to take him out, because uh, it was a drone, that they saw a drone, and they were like, you need to take it out, um, because there was nobody else, uh, there, so he picked up a rocket launcher, aimed for it, and the thing went backwards, and knocked him flat on his face, and it was funny, and then I saw a video, which was very, very similar to it, where it was like a Taliban member with a rocket launcher, and the rocket just went, bloop, it just, it just dribbled out, <laughs> and everyone just started dipping, and, <laughs> Like and it's so weird the 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 scope of how of how to see all this because like you're trying to like you know Channel Four constantly talking about it right every time they do their news uh Alney news on uh, seven right that's the first thing to talk about what's going on in Kabul what's and that's another thing Kabul is very different to the rest of Afga- Afghanistan right um you can ask you can ask several people about that. Um, but it's just so weird. The whole thing is so weird. I don't know how to, I don't know how to, uh, what's the word? I don't know how to absorb it. You know I mean? People saying this, uh, people saying this, these things and like they're, okay, that sounds fine. And they're totally blessed starting to talk. And I'm just like, what, why are you talking my guy? Why are you talking? Like, why are you talking? You do not 
you, you should be in jail, my guy. <laughs> like, so, yeah, it's, it's, the whole thing's a clusterfuck. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's a long way of saying I'm not covering it this week. Um, anyway, with that said, uh, let's jump right in. Before we begin, email to the IG Discord link called that order, order in the full show notes. Please go peep the articles for yourselves in the full show notes. Go peep the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. I've just realised something uh, that there's been a lot of deaths recently, <laughs> like mobile death. Um, but yeah, uh, oh well, here we go anyway. Uh, so martial arts uh, in a week where martial arts uh, master Sonny Chiba dies age day two, um, apparently from COVID. So there you go. Um, OnlyFans will cut off pornographic content in October. We'll be talking about that. Paralympi- Paralympics are officially underway. We will get a little bit into that. Uh, Extinction Rebellion begins a two-week wave of protests, uh, which is, uh, you know, good. And um, yeah, I'll be, uh, and it's literally perfect timing, considering the uh, the uh, the apparently some oil fields are being going to be created or some shit. Like I, I, I saw a piece, I saw a, I saw a piece on a, a Greenpeace <laughs> piece on Greenpeace uh, covering something uh, about uh, Shetland. I think it was I think I forget the location, but apparently uh, some. Uh, you know, some uh, gear was being transported from Norway to there, and uh, it was drilling gear or oil gear. So they're clearly trying to do something. But anyway, and uh, lastly, Brian Travers, saxophonist and founding member of UB40, dies age of cancer, age 62. And since we're doing deaths, let's shout Charlie Watts as well, Rolling Stones drummer, who also died uh, literally yesterday as I record. But with that said, we get into sport, and we're going to talk about some Paralympics because you know I felt. Uh, I feel like, you know, I talked about Olympics for <laughs> Olympics fever and all that. Um, you know, admittedly, I don't get into Paralympics as hard as I, uh, as hard as I do with the Olympics. Um, but you know, it's a worthy thing. It's, it's something to watch definitely. And I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to try and watch a little bit of it. I might just peep some highlights here and there. Um, probably do so as soon as I get off here. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm just interested in, uh, I found this article in basically, uh, it kind of uh, actually reaffirms what I was my my final thoughts about the Olympics overall. And uh, if you didn't peep that a couple of weeks ago, um, basically the gist of what I was getting at uh, was that it seemed that this, while the Olympics were very different in the obvious way, I think something that you you might have clocked or might not have clocked right is the fact is, is how the athletes at that point. Um, you know, going through it those two weeks, there was a lot of gratitude about. There was a lot of I'm I'm just gassed I'm here kind of vibes, you know what I mean? And that's cool and that's great to see. It's good to see people just um fulfilling their dreams and I and you know, I feel a lot of the awards natter um kind of gets away from uh, kind of gets us away from the fact that, you know, these guys have spent five years, you know, training hard and uh dedicating their lives to this one to this one two week period and uh you know and making it there a lot of people don't make it there to that to those two weeks um so if you get there and if you're one of those in case the olympics 11,000 people 
then that's great, right? You need to pat yourself on the back in some way and give yourself some gratitude. And I feel like in a lot of in a lot of years, it's hard to see that. But in uh, but this year, particularly in Tokyo twenty twenty, um, it was it was you could see it. You could see you know people just gas to be there. You know, and that's and that's cool. And it's the same way in this one. Um, I found this article by Paul McKins. Uh, via the Guardian here, uh, literally says they feel hugely privileged, spirits high among Paralympic GB athletes. Um, and just to say, right, if you don't know, Paralympic GB is like top two um, ever in Paralympics. Um, it's like the US and then Great Britain and then I think Germany. Um, and it's literally just US and GB running away with it. So, you know, we're good. We're good. We, we this is There's a reason why we're so invested in it. Or, uh, well, obviously Channel 4 broadcasts it, why, they're so in, uh, why they get so invested in it. And that's great. That's great to see. Um, I actually saw, as a minor side note, I did see a uh, article saying uh, potentially like a new owners of Channel 4, because obviously Channel 4 is getting sold, um, might ditch the Paralympics and... Uh, that's just some shit that if that even happens. Like, ima- try, imagine trying to justify that. When, yeah, we're not going to do the Paralympics anymore. Yeah, yeah. Good luck, good luck, uh, try and justify that. Anyway, let's get into this article because uh, there's some fascinating uh, thoughts about it here, and you know, really uh, links to what I was talking about previously. Uh, Ali Jawad uh, posted a picture of himself on a tabletop this weekend, mask on, power shake to hand. Jawad's arms uh, were raised in celebration. The British powerlifter, who was born without legs and also deals with the debilitating effects of Crohn's disease, has had made it to the athlete's village in Tokyo. Quote, arrived in the Paralympic village! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Absolutely amazing view from our rooms, unquote, he wrote, uh, adding a drawling emoji to reinforce the point. Jawad, who returned from Rio with a silver medal in the under 59 kg category four years ago, is not alone in getting excited about uh, about the facilities. There have been other outbursts of delight on social media from members of the GB team, and collectively the digs have earned themselves uh, a new name, uh, the quote, Paralympics Performance Palace, unquote. In the age of COVID, in the midst of a Paralympic uh, and Paralympic summer, intertwined with a public health crisis, the controllables are everything. Uh, there has been a lot of time and effort put into making the corner of Athletes Village that is British as much of a home away from home as it can be. But the chef de mission, is that how you say it? Is, is, is it de mission? Like, do, I, do I have to put the full French on it? I don't know. I'm going to say chef de mission just for the sake of it. But the chef de mission of uh, uh, Paralympics GB Penny Briscoe is still struck by how positive the mood is within the team. Quote, this is my 11th games, and honestly, and I honestly can't remember another uh, where the palpable sense of excitement, expectation, and anticipation has been as high, unquote. She said, well, she says, continuing on, uh, I've been trying to get my head around it. We ha- we've had athletes coming in for three or four days now, and I think there's an overwhelming sense of how privileged they are to be here. Uh, against the backdrop of this eighteen months of tumu- uh, of this eighteen months of tumultuous challenge, the athletes feel hugely privileged that so much had has been done to allow the games to happen. Unquote. From Tuesday, the athletes will have a chance to act on that privilege. The opening ceremony of Paralympics will start uh, to kickstart twelve days of competi- competition. That was twelve and fourteen, but there you go. Uh, with one thousand six hundred seventeen medals at stake. Uh, last time, Great Britain won one hundred forty-seven of them, a record in the modern era. The total eclipsing that uh, even that of the home uh, games of 2012. In Rio, Paralympics GB were clear they wanted to beat the 120 medals won in London. This time, however, they are more circumspect about their targets. Uh, UK Sport has created a window of between 100 and 140 medals, uh, with success to be found inside that frame. Briscoe prefers not to involve numbers at all. Quote, 
I think it's difficult uh, to predict the total number of medals that, pa- that Paralympics GB will win. And I think we're not, com- uh, not coming in with that sort of specific target in mind, she says. We know we're in good shape. We've got 226 athletes, 19 sports, and all of those sports have had positive uh, performances throughout the cycle. Uh, I think we've got more than 30 returning Paralympic champions. We've got world champions, European champions. We have had a successful cycle. We know the quality of the team we're bringing to the environment, unquote. Among the returning champions is Sarah Story, who, uh, as I record, has literally already won a gold medal, uh, who kicks off the action on day one with an attempt to retain her C4 individual pursuit title, and I think that was the one. Uh, Story has 14 cycling goals to her name over six Paralympic Games, uh, and if she wins every race she uh, she competes in this year, she will become Britain's most successful Paralympian. At the other end of the event schedule on day 12, there is David Weir, with the legend of wheelchair racing coming out of retirement to compete in not just the T54 marathon, but also the 1500 uh, meters and 5000 meters. Uh, in between there will be Johnny Peacock, Hannah Cockcroft and Ellie Simmons, Sophie Hahn, uh, Emma Wiggs and Sophie Wells. Uh, there will be new names such as cyclist uh, Jacko Van Gass and the sprinter Thomas Young. Uh, oh yeah, Thomas Young. I've, I've seen Thomas Young. He's, he's a cool dude. Uh, there'll be two new sports, uh, two uh, with Britain boasting world champions in both para taekwondo and para badminton. That might be a watch. <laughs> para, para badminton? That might be a watch. I might give that a spin. I might give that a spin. Uh, anyway, uh, in Matt Bush and Jack Shepard respectively, quote, uh, we're confident that there will be uh, something to cheer about, multiple things to cheer about every single day of competition, Briscoe says. Uh, Briscoe believes the successes of uh, tw- London 2012 and the spotlight is shone on Parasport uh, have changed the paradigm for many of the athletes coming into the squad more recently. Quote, I think the profile of Parasport is such now that I think athletes see opportunity, she says. I think they see opportunity in terms of their sporting careers and also in their wider careers through the medium of sport. More than ever, I think they see their opportunity to influence the social impact agenda. And I think athletes are taking their responsibility really seriously. Unquote. I'm going to put a pin in that quote because I feel like that's a really good point. Uh, so the mood is good, the standards are high, and the platform is as big as it ever has ever been. Big as it ever has been uh, for disabled athletes. But the scourge of COVID-19 remains. One Paralympics GB staff member has tested positive with two members of the swimming team, while others required to isolate too. Briscoe is confident extra measures to protect the team will work and keep infection out of the village. In this unique environment, however, the par- pandemic remains the great uncontrollable. And yeah, that's um, I think that's the best way to finish up on that. Obviously, you know, um, bringing uh, uh, grounding all of this in the fact that this is still in a pandemic still in a country that is still in a state of emergency due to said pandemic, right? I think that always, always needs to be mentioned when it comes to these things. Um, I did say at the end of the Olympics that, you know, if, if, uh, if, you know, money was clearly not a issue here, which in this, which in these cases, and the reason why they're being hosted now uh, is, yeah, if money wasn't a problem, I still think these uh, both Paralympics and the Olympics should have been pushed back one more year. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, for money reasons chiefly, um, that could not happen um, is what it is. Right. But with that said, um, it's still great to see um, people in sport uh, able to 
try and fulfill a dream. And, uh, you know, I, for, for, even if you don't fuck with sport in any fashion, if you don't know what a corner kick is, I don't care, right? If you don't know what a baseline drive is, uh, if you <laughs> if you don't know what a uh, if you don't know what a scrum is, right? I don't care if you don't know what sport. If you don't like sport, I get it, right? But for me personally, and this is obviously one one reason. It's not the whole reason, but one great reason why sport is so ubiquitous in life, in human life, is because of the storylines. Um, and there is no that sometimes there are no better storylines than going to something like the Paralympics and seeing people who are dis- who are disabled in um, in more traditional ways, but also more um, oh well, I say traditional, I said that's a that's a that's say a different word in more uh, in a more mainstream fashion fashion such as you know being in a wheelchair right, but also you know mentally or. Um, uh, you know, physically in a different way, right? There are so many, uh, there's so many on this spectrum as it pertains to uh, uh, the Paralympics. It is very fascinating to learn about um, every every four years, and obviously that you know they still do events in between these uh, Paralympics. But obviously, Paralympics and as well as the Olympics are the um, are the uh, are the crown jewel for a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, and I'm here for it all. So, uh, you know, salute to the Paralympics GB. Good luck to all. Um, and big up to Zame Sarah Story, who's already won a gold medal as I record. So, uh, you know, the, the medals are already a flowing. Now we hop on to our first of two life topics and uh, come on guys, you know I had to do it, I had to talk about OnlyFans, right? But I didn't want to talk about OnlyFans in the way that a lot of people are obviously talking about OnlyFans in which is, you know, memery and jokingly. And, you know, while I certainly participated in those jokes and had my fair share of laughs, um, there is a serious issue to that. Um, to the whole thing about OnlyFans uh, cutting off uh, pornographic content um, in October. Uh, I think it's the end of October. Um, You know, there's a lot of people that have, especially during the pandemic, right, and, you know, the fact that nobody could be inside, and uh, some people were furloughed, some people were cut off work entirely, right? Some people took to sex work. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I feel um, there is a, a growing... There is a growing um, opinion, I think, amongst uh, people that are, you know, not in sex work, right? That um, that that feel that you know, sex work should be um, respected more. Um, it should be um, not seen as a stigmatic thing. Uh, I don't know if it's stigmatic is even a word, but you know, just the stigma of sex work um, socially. Uh, is constantly, you know, put there, even though a majority of us, you know, watch that kind of sex work, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like, you know, we have a couple, we, we, we do some things to that, you know what I mean, so, let's not get it twisted, okay, right, you know, would I, would I do sex work? No, not me, not my steez, but, 
it is something that people do and it is a it is a it is an industry it is a form of work and uh you know like any other like every other thing obviously it's not as uh you know quote unquote traditional as uh you know going to an office block and uh punching numbers for eight hours fine no it's not um, but fuck me, if ain't if uh, those if sex work don't sound more exciting at least than fucking going to a desk, right? So anyway, um, but yeah, I'm thinking this article is about the people. Um, the OnlyFans is really abandoning, to be honest, um, and uh, that's you know that should that should be talked. This should be talked about more. Hence why I'm doing it. Um, so <laughs> this is by by the New Statesman, um, but also by an author that I talked about last week, uh, Chris Stokel Walker, who obviously uh, did that piece about uh, TikTok, and uh, now he's back again uh, on another publication, uh, talking about OnlyFans. Uh, I, I, I was trying to find another one, but this one was the best one in my in my view, so big up to Chris Stokel Walker once again. This is called OnlyFans is Abandoning the Sex Workers Who Made the Platform a Success. Let's get into it. OnlyFans has built up a reputation and a business out of more than $2 billion in sales from 7 million users willing to pay for sexual content. It's become shorthand for the burgeoning economy of online sex work, where people post videos and photos of sex acts in exchange for money, and has helped 16,000 people worldwide earn at least 50k annually from selling subscriptions to their content, with over 300 earning $1 million or more. Uh, but not for much longer. From October, OnlyFans will bar sexually explicit videos from its service. A shock for all, but the minority of users who pay to watch clothed, non-sexual fitness videos and cooking tutorials that the conversation, uh, controversial London startup has tried uh, increasingly desperately uh, to, say, illustrates this rounded user base. Sure. Uh, it's a baffling decision, but can be explained by OnlyFans' struggle to gain external funding to bolster its extraordinary growth. Made popular off the back of the quote-unquote sex sales mantra, uh, it's now found that sex turns off those who can enable its owners to cash out of their business. In a statement, OnlyFans said it, is, it had been compelled to ban sexual content because of pressure from its payment processing partners. Stuck in the middle are the sex workers plying their trade on the platform. Quote, <coughs> I immediately got anxiety uh, as I'm sure many other sex workers did, as we begin to wonder about our livelihoods, says uh, Mara Jade Sith, a disabled sex worker based in the United States. For Sith, OnlyFans was a lifeline. Quote, uh, as a disabled uh, person doing content creation allowed me, yeah, doing content creation allowed me to work from home and stay independent while focusing on my health, she says. Doing OnlyFans helped me be able to afford my life-saving medications. I haven't been able to work traditional jobs for a few years. There we go. Um, so hearing that they will be taking away content that I do is scary because now I may not be able to afford medical care, unquote. Sith is far from the only sex worker likely to be affected by the ban on sexually explicit activity. Quote, the OnlyFans boom at the start of the pandemic has created a lot of sex workers who are new and might not have that experience under their belt, unfortunately. Uh, and they're going to be hit hardest by this, says Bellini. Um, yep, yeah, Bellini, an Australian sex worker who has been in the industry for a decade and uses competing platform many vids. Quote, it's not new for social media and other technologies to build up user base reputation and content on the backs of sex workers, only to change their terms of use to remove them from their platforms once successful. Unquote, says uh, Dr. Angelica Strohmeyer of Northumbria University and a board member of the Sex Work Research Hub, an academic group that studies sex works. 
sex work. Full disclosure, she's also my partner. Oh, there you go. Um, it, is, quote, it is shameful and harmful to those... Um, uh, to those working on these platforms who rely on them and their income uh, for them for their income unquote Benini used to sell her content uh, through a platform called IndieBill, which closed down in late 2020. Quote, It was really rough because I had something like three days to research other platforms, reorganize my content, and then migrate it, she says. It was very disruptive, and I lost quite a lot of income during that period, and the platform change has meant needing to rebuild a lot of my audience, unquote. She chose many vids over OnlyFans because she was worried by the latter's attempt to rebrand herself as a general home for content creators. Uh, the only way uh, that OnlyFans tried to promote itself, quote, as a pornographic, as a, as a non-pornographic platform scared me off, she says. The risk is that sex workers already vilified by some sections of society, which I was talking, which I briefly mentioned, will be uh, left to rebuild their audience from scratch on a new platform. Quote, this is a job that requires so much hidden labor to build up a client base using different advertising and safety strategies for different platforms, says Stromai. Uh, Bellini worries that whichever platform sex workers move uh, move to will be the next in the firing line. Quote, lobbying groups will move on to new targets soon, she says. They've worked out uh, that the most efficient way to su- shut down sex worker platforms is to go for their payment providers or banking services. Unquote. Bellini says it can be easy to characterize this as a problem that only impacts a porn industry, but it's much wider than that. Quote, it should be everyone's concern because even if they manage to shut down all the adult platforms, what will be next? Artists? Anime? Unquote. That's a great point, and I feel like that's where I've talked about it before. I'm going to put a pin in that. Uh, for now, sex workers appear to be focusing on uh, moving their content and audiences to key web- uh, to two key websites, both of which were set up by former or current sex workers. ManyVids was co-founded by Bella French, a former CAM performer, uh, while Frisk, ha- which has gained 20,000 followers since it was founded in 2019, is run by Sasha McGee, a British sex worker uh, since 2013. Quote, a lot of specul- after a lot of speculation over the last few months about OnlyFans moving away from adult content, we can't say we are shocked by today's news, says McGee. However, it is surprising that they have decided to silence and disregard creators that have built uh, their site up to what it is today, unquote. Among those likely uh, to move o- to move over is Sith, who was contracted by the platform, uh, contacted by the platform earlier this year. While she hasn't had the same traffic to her frisk content that she got on OnlyFans, that could only change as OnlyFans loses its sexual content, something she's hopeful for with $800 of medical bills, uh, medication bills a month to pay, as she likes to cite ethos. They are women, they are sex workers, so seeing them support their creators like that was one, one reason I made an account, she says. The anxiety of being deleted doesn't exist because it is a site for us and run by us. Unquote. Yeah, um, that's pretty succinctly put. Um, overall, um, one thing I wanted to get to, as I meant to, as I as I said, put a pin in it. Um, the Bellini quote talking about, um, you know, it should be everyone's concern because even if they manage to shut down all the platforms, what will be next? Artists and anime is a great point. Is a very, very, very great point. Um, you know, I th- I feel like, uh, you know, uh. For something like uh, anime, right, um, uh, is is something that is considered, you know, um, you know, has a there's a stigma to that as well, right? Um, there's a lot of uh, artists, independent artists, that you know, consistently, you know, draw and uh, you know, 
basically do spec drawings, right, based on characters they enjoy, uh, they enjoy seeing by watching anime, or not even anime, you know, it could be any TV show, right, and then just put in their own artistic spin on that particular artwork or whatever, right, and, you know, some of that can get a bit risque, right, and some of that can be, you know, in my mind, this is me personally, it could be just downright Ugh. right right but that's not my prerogative right that's if i don't need to see that and i don't see that right i don't see that you only see that shit if you search for it okay and that's kind of the that's kind of my point when it comes to all this like if you if you if you don't want to see it don't search for it right um but getting back to the main point of this uh it is a good point that bellini's talking about in how it can be a sex work today, right? Because that's obviously just something that you can you can take, right? And say, stamp nudity, um, stamp sex, right? It's it's easy to stamp, but how do you stamp a drawing? You know, how how do you stamp that? How do you stamp a drawing of some tits? Legit question. How do you how do you stamp that? Do you stamp that as porn? I don't stamp that as porn. I stamp it as a picture of tits, pretty much. But you know, if you if you put a gun to my head, I would say it's art in some way, right? It's art for somebody, right? And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think sex work is unfortunately can can you know. I feel like some of them, uh, some of them try to put the art moniker on themselves, right? Um, but uh, you know, it can get hazy, and most of the time, it can just gets stamped as porn anyway. So, you know, it's very hard to do that. It's very hard to toe that line and say this is not this is not sex work. This is art, right? And trying to do it as that is very uh, hard to do. Um, but it is a it is a great question because that, like I said, that line can really be blurred, right? And uh, um. Obviously, sex workers try not, uh, don't bother going to that, going to that, you know, they, they just see it as, you know, a purely transactional thing. I did uh, listen to a podcast, uh, shout out to Roy's Job Fair, Roy Wood Jr., Absolute G, shout out to JG as well, um, love JG, right, just go listen to that show, right, because they did two episodes recently um, about sex work and uh, about sex in general and just, well, it's, called, it's about jobs, right, it's a podcast about jobs, so, and, you know, they did a couple of episodes about sex work, and it was very, very enlightening, very fascinating, they got a couple, of, they got, like, an interracial couple that basically, you know, just do shit, uh, do, do shows, I don't know if they, they don't, they don't smash on it, but they just basically do, uh, uh, they, you know, they sell shit on the side, and, you know, it's a real hustle, like, the, the energy they, sa- it sounds like they put in as it pertains to, you know, getting out content is literally the same as, like, you know, any YouTuber grind, it's literally the same, like, in terms of output, right, they're trying to put out daily content, right, you know those YouTubers are trying to put out that daily content, daily stuff, um, social media, trying to put out that daily shit, you know, trying to get that engagement, it's the same thing, uh, that's how they, that's, it's more seen like that, it's me, it's more seen as just like, you know, YouTube with tits, um, I know Twitch has recently gotten into some hot water, literally, <laughs> wow, that was fucking great, <laughs> literally, hot water, uh, about like a hot tub stream, something like that, because you can skirt the rules by saying like, you know, if you're in a hot tub, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, wearing, they may be wearing nothing, but they're wearing, or they're wearing something, doesn't matter, but because they're in a hot tub, and people just like the, I don't know, like to imagine, I guess, I don't know, um, 
but yeah, you know, there've been calls to make a, a Twitch After Dark kind of thing, where like, you know, if you're gonna do 18, 18 plus streams, just make a fucking like different platform, right? And that's fine, and I get that, right? And there's plenty of other platforms, but um, as it pertains to this, this is a matter of like, you know, Visa and Mastercard, you know, bit getting pressured, and uh, and that's just unfortunate because if you can't, and you know, that's that's kind of where people get into the oh this is why Bitcoin's the future, and, you know, I don't want to go down the road, don't want to go down the road, not going to do that, but, you know, pe- that's what people, some people are saying, instead of, you know, you can do Bitcoin, because it's decentralized, <laughs> right, and while that may be a potential lifeline for a lot of people, it's not the lifeline right now, and that is, that is the be-all and end-all of that conversation for me, um, but, yeah, man, it's crazy just, uh, how, how, like, squeezed sex workers get, um, and, uh, yeah, it's re- it really it really can get into a slippery slope, and it's kind of why I have a moderate care into this just conversation overall conversation, where you know if they're not if they if they if they're doing shit and they're consenting to them doing that sh- doing that shit themselves, and they're putting the camera on themselves, what's the beef? There's no le- there's no I don't think legal illegal like unless you you know don't do illegal shit, but you know apart from that right boom. It's just, it's just some pum, just some pum on camera, man. And, you know, if people want to pay for that, I know uh, uh, Shout Voice job fair again, because there are people that pay, like, you know, thousands for, for, for underwear, fam. Like, okay, you know, it's a booming business. Let it be. If you don't want to be in it, you don't want to be in it. If you don't want to participate, you ain't participating. Who cares? Um, I never, I, I was never on OnlyFans, right? Did I think about it? Hell yeah, but I'd never gone it. <laughs> right? <laughs> that is what it is. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, the whole thing's a bit of a, it's, it's a lot of slippery slopes here, um, but, you know, just shout to the sex workers, just trying to make it happen, um, uh, you know, it's, if they're, if they're getting that pee, they're getting that pee, I can't complain, I'm not watching it, but people, some people like watching it, and that's all it is, it's the same, it's literally, in my mind, parallel to, like, watching a YouTuber live stream some games. I, I do that sometimes and my mum goes, why are you watching a dude play games? It's a great question. I don't fucking know. I really don't fucking know. You know what I mean? But some people do that instead with some, uh, you know, with somebody, somebody playing games with their tits out. And that's all well and good. That's all well and good for me. Now I hop into film and TV, and I found this one at the perfect moment. Uh, I just, uh, I, I literally just tripped up on it. It's so beautiful. This is um, in in just a you know, be wanted to talk about it kind of way. Uh, but the concept is the story itself is not beautiful in any way. Um, so this is I was told to sound more Asian, but Asia is a continent. Daring UK survey sheds light on racism in casting. Uh, this is by Minori uh, Ravindran, Ravindran, I'm just, Ravindran, yeah, I'm gonna say Ravindran, uh, via Variety. Um, this is good. This is tasty. So let's get into it. A uh, groundbreaking survey about diversity in the auditioning process for British actors, believed to be the largest of its kind in the UK, has revealed that 79 of the percent of the respond of respondents feel roles continue to stereotype their ethnicities, and 64 percent have experienced racist stereotyping in or- in an audition. 60 
four. That's too large. Way too large. Meanwhile, more than fifty half fifty more than half fifty five percent specifically of uh, respondents have experienced racist behaviour in the workplace. While a majority have spoken out about the lack of support in hair and makeup uh, departments and the inability, excuse me, to speak up against racism in the workplace. Um, I've heard that conversation uh, many a time. I remember like there was a talk, there was like, a round table discussion with like a. Uh, Aldis Hodge and Jay Farrow, and they were talking about uh, hair and makeup departments and, you know, the lack of diversity there. It's a real shit. It's real shit. Uh, the survey was commissioned by the Personal Managers Association Association's uh, newly installed racial diversity group, um, a collective of top British talent agents who convened earlier this year to tackle issues of race faced by actors of colour in the UK. The findings were authored by the group alongside Dr Jamie Rogers, uh, from the University of Birmingham and the Lenny Henry Centre for Media Diversity. Uh, with nearly three, what, 1,300 respondents, uh, the survey was collected between March and April. Its findings shared exclusive variety uh, have been published in a report entitled uh, Race Between the Lions, Actors' Experience of Race and Racism in Britain's Audition and Casting Process and on Set. Uh, quote. That's a terrible title, there's too many ends. Uh, in a forward British actor and pioneer for the in- industry representation, Lenny Henry, uh, who is J- of Jamaican heritage and whose org uh, co-authored the findings, said, uh, quote, Every time we see a great actor like Tandiwe Newton, uh, Idris Elba or David Harewood leave these shores, the fine opportunities denied to them in the UK is a painful reminder of why casting is so important. Uh, this report finally brings into the open what many of us talk about and suffer in private. I know from personal experience the powerlessness uh, that far too many actors feel to be able to speak out when we witness or experience racist stereotype, unquote. Through a mixture of quantitative and qualitative analysis, the study is divided into questions about the auditioning stage and the workplace. Uh, key respondent groups identified as Black African, 18%, Black Caribbean, 12 any other ethnicity, 11 Black Caribbean and Whites, 10%, Indian, 10%, Asian and White, 8%, among others. Half of respondents uh, described their career status as developing, while 8% said they were established and 3% said very well established. So auditioning is the first one. UK auditioning process for actors of colour was described as, quote, one of the most pernicious sites of institutional racism in the industry, unquote where decisions about casting are made before anyone even enters the room. What begins the stereotypes that inform the writing process are censored agents which, quote, embed the stereotype in the casting process, unquote, writers, uh, writers, writes Rogers. Um, Then at the audition, directors and uh, casting directors can ask performers to play a stereotype and not a person, which further dehumanizes the characters of colour in scripted drama and perpetuates stereotypes. Respondents detailed everything from code words used in conjunction with stereotypes, such as, uh, I have been asked on more than one occasion, could you do the black thing? (laughs) Could you do the black thing? Or can you make it more street or urban? Or could you black it up a bit more? No, no, no. Oh, God. That just reminds me of that, uh, and there's plenty of reminders, right? But this reminds me of like the scene in the top five with a uh, Chris Rock, where like he's trying, he's doing a, he's doing a block. Uh, what's it? What's it called? A bed for um, uh, for like Sirius XM, and he's like, uh, it's, 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 what's his name on it? Uh, what's the name on the thing? Andre something. 
I forget his name. I'm going to say it's Chris Rock. Hey, it's Chris Rock, and uh, you're listening to Serious Hits 1. And he's like, and the guy in the background is uh, on the back. He's a white dude. And goes like, put a little more stank on it. And they're just like going, he's like, so stank? Yeah, just put a little stank on it. It's like, what the fuck is stank? You know what I mean? It's just great. That's literally all I think of when I hear this, this kind of shit. Uh, to, more, to request by a casting panel for an actor of colour... Uh, to speak in an exaggerated or stereotypical accent, uh, such as, I was told to sound more Asian. Asia is a continent. <laughs> that is literally so so true, right? I've never even heard of it, like that, that kind of response to it. But the, the fact that people say sound more Asian is just funny to me. I didn't even think of it like that because Asia is so big. Like, you know, what, what do you mean by Asian? Do you mean Chinese Asian? Do you mean Thai Asian? Do you mean Indian Asian? Like... Stupid. Um, most of these experiences highlighted the lack of people in, of colour in decision-making roles, such as casting director, producer, or director. Quote, uh, As often the only person of colour in a white room of white directors or casting directors or producers, it's hard to feel uh, like you have a voice to question choices or styles. Uh, they want uh, wi- they want which feel racially driven. When you don't see someone who looks like you, unquote, uh, shared one anonymous respondent. The problem is further nuance for actors of mixed heritage who are often subject to narrow perspectives among decision makers. Quote, I am half Pakistani and half Irish with slightly tanned skin. In seven years, I have auditioned for one Irish role. That was last week. uh, And the rest have been Indian, which I am not. But I have had to adjust and to not limit my opportunities. And that's really the problem here. Like, it's always... The, the, it's always like you can't kind of reject it because you need the work. You know what I mean? And th- that's a, that's the case for a lot of these actors, and that's the depressing part of it. That's really the depressing part of it. Like they kind of have to just kowtow to this bullshit because they're not getting enough work on that front. That's the crazy part, anyway. Uh, meanwhile, respondents from uh, some communities said they were being excluded altogether from the audition process. Uh, quote, East and Southeast Asians are hugely left out of the diversity inclusion movement, White said one contributor. There is barely presence of us being cast in meaningful roles, both on stage and on screen, unquote. <clears throat> when it came to auditioning for roles that are white or a, or, or a different heritage to your own, uh, the majority of respondents said they would do so. 30% said always, while 37% said, uh, 37% said sometimes. One respondent said they uh, submit themselves for white roles, quote-unquote white, because, quote, I want my face to pop up in the decision-maker's inbox and for them to ask themselves why the character has to be white or why that's necessary for them. But usually I don't want, actually want the job because I don't think I want to work with people who think like that, unquote. Great point. Uh, nonetheless, uh, despite the overt and subconscious racism of the audition process, only 39% they feel confident enough to say they would always or usually turn down an audition due to racist stereotypes. The vast majority said they would only sometimes or rarely or never feel able to turn down an audition if they felt the part was, produ- was the product of racist stereotyping simply due to the dearth of work. There you go, my point made. In the workplace, uh, the survey also underlines... Uncomfortable realities for actors of colour in the workplace, particularly when it comes to hair and makeup. 71% of respondents have ex- had experienced hair or makeup artists who lack the knowledge uh, to work with them on an equal basis to their white co-workers. Uh, only 28% had encountered no problems with hair and makeup in dealing with their physical features. Um, the hair and makeup issues were keenly felt by the African-Caribbean community. 
I said Caribbean, Caribbean, uh, as well as performers uh, from the East Asian backgrounds. One respondent said they were, quote, often made to feel uncomfortable for speaking up and never consulted on hair changes. On set, I've been talked about my hair being a problem in shots as though I'm not in the room, unquote. Another contributor pointed out the inherent inequality of the, f- of the field. Uh, where hair and makeup artists of colour were forced to be able to cater to all kinds of skin tones and hair, but the same was not expected of white artists. Quote, The few black hairstylists I work with uh, knew not only how to tend, Afro, uh, tend to Afrocentric hair texture, but also Caucasian and thick Asian or Hispanic. Uh, but I'm still yet to work with a white hairstylist who knows how to treat Afrocentric hair. Uh, and there's a quote, there's a Link to Queen and Slim actor Jodie Turner-Smith talking about it uh, uh, for variety. Um, elsewhere, 55% they had they have encountered culturally insensitive language in the workplace. Perhaps the most prob- perhaps most problematic is the fact that 73% of uh, of respondents said they would feel quote uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, or refuse to discuss the issues raised in the survey with the casting director. 76% would feel this way talk to a producer, and 66 for a director. Policy recommendations. The report uh, made a number of urgent policy interventions for the industry. The authors authors called for, one, an independent third-party reporting body, such as the Call It app that uh, actors can access confidentially and and anonymously if needed. They also asked for, two, creative involvement from people of colour at all levels, from the development process through to post-production, including, quote, active involvement and input from people of colour with the power to actively engage in anti-racist practice, including the avoidance of stereotypes in writing and casting, unquote. This would mean having such individuals in in substantive? It's substantive. I can't read. Substantive roles as uh, as opposed to advisory positions. Thus, productions should set specific and transparent employment targets for diverse representation at various casting level positions, unquote. Also suggested is three, ensuring appropriate levels of competency for hair and makeup artists working with actors of all heritages. Heritages? Heritages? Heritages. Fuck, I'm tripping. <laughs> Heritage, uh, which would be uh, reflected in union agreements. And four, the mandating of unconscious bias and active bystander trading, uh, training for all productions, cast and crew uh, in, a similar, in a model similar to the COVID protocol set during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I don't really have much um, else to you know respond about to, to those. Um, I think the recommendation, those three recommendations are, you know... Um, Honestly, uh, k- apart from maybe the um, apart from the first one, uh, the uh, calling for an independent third party reporting bo- reporting body, um, the other two I feel have been things that have you know constantly been talked about for decades, um, and uh, have just been you know re 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 uh, regurgitated here. Um, which is fine, right? It's it's fine to regurgitate, right? It's uh, the the fact that you know we still have to say these things um, is you know kind of the problem here. Um, but the first one, the, the first one is a very very great way, um, not just to you know have uh, have somewhere for people to uh, to to call it, you know, to call it out and to you know say this is happening, right? But also gives a a real time. Uh, a real-time research, consistent flow of research um, and numbers and statistics as to 
as to something like this, you know, it, it, it gives the ability to constantly collate these uh, these issues and uh, for uh, for people to, you know, if they want to do it anonymously or not, regardless, to say that this bullshit is happening and it can be accounted for and, uh, and uh, you know, and more of these kind of reports can happen, you know, on a yearly basis. Um, this is what happened in the year 2021 as it pertains to actors, uh, you know, get, uh, calling out bullshit um, via this third party app. That is very important because if you constantly have these things, um, I don't know whether this report is going to be a yearly thing or not. I feel like this is an inaugural one. Um, but, you know, if it ha- if this happens on a yearly basis, these kind of reports, then we can have that data and then constantly... Uh, you know, uh, on a long term, on a more long term basis, if we zoom out a bit, can really see the ups and downs. That's why I really love the uh, Hollywood diversity report um, done by the Ralph J. Bunch uh, uh, Center in uh, UCLA, and um, they they basically do uh, you know very detailed uh, you know diagrams and uh, charting and just a uh, you know. General, uh, maybe not quotations and testimonials in this fashion, but just hard data um, as it pertains to Hollywood films, um, albeit a couple years behind uh, in the research uh, in the research pool. Um, I think they they like always they always do it two years behind or something like that, which you know is is fine, but you know is better if it, it, that's why I prefer more real time stats such as this and you know that call for the that call for independent um, third party. Uh, 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 reporting um, is just highly encouraged for me personally and obviously the other two are something again that has been regurgitated over the years um, but yeah man there's a lot of bu- there was a lot of bullshit in that um, that I could easily uh, break down but uh, uh, for the sake of time I'm just going to leave it as what it is what it is um, but yeah man uh, actors boy, actors got it bad man bad 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 Lastly, we get into our second life topic, and uh, this is uh, this is just a personal meditation um, that I like to do sometimes. Uh, if you've been on, sh- if you've you know peeped the show <laughs> regularly, um, <clears throat> 140 episodes, man, crazy. Anyway, um, so I've recent, so I've, I've recently watched, a, I've consumed three things recently um, that I didn't really expect to link so heavily. Um, because uh, they were happening, because I was I was watching, I was consuming them, uh, you know, in in the space of a couple of days, and uh, I just kept getting this, I kept I kept having these thoughts, right, about um, and this kind of links back to the um the online activism <coughs> um conversation that we had a, a episode or two episodes ago, um, it it kind of links to that in some way, but just more about more in overall sense, um, in in. What is what? What are we doing right now? Um, and what and what can we do? And uh, anyway, but I'll I'll kind I'll kind of try and we must uh, get lean into it because I'm my my thoughts are still a bit live. Um, so I so I was watching I, I was watching. Firstly, I peeped Uprising, um, which was a which is a three part. A documentary series done by Steve McQueen and uh, James Rogan. 
James Rogan. I'm, I'm going to get a boy, my homeboy's name because he also um, helped make it. I don't want to just say Steve McQueen because that's obviously uh, uh, not correct. James Rogan. There you go. Steve McQueen and James Rogan, um, which is basically a three-part series uh, uh, going from... Uh, actually, just perfectly blended um, just, uh, um, you know, tragedies but also like uh, things that happened after that and how they were so inextricably linked and it was so fascinating and how and how they linked them so they started off with the first episode which was about the new crossfire and uh, you know I think I've talked about that on here before um, and the that first episode was the most human um, depiction of of a tragedy I have seen um in in years uh like just they they brought a lot of survivors on um you know people just that knew um the people that died in the fire or succumbed to injuries of that fire um and it was just so human because they they didn't just do the fire they did all the stuff before it they had a few people tell their story where they came from why and how they ended up in new cross um it was so fascinating and such a human story and i really loved it um, it's one of my favourite episodes of anything in the past recent years. Um, and then it dipped into... And then obviously depicted the fire itself. And then the second episode was kind of just like... Aunt, where, like you know, search for answers. Um, black people in London and across the country getting you know irritated. Uh, obviously, the, at the same time, the, the Princess Diana marriage was happening. Um, so that was... Cli- that, that just literally um, wiped the news cycle clean. Um, and New Crossfire was obviously just a move to the wayside on that front. And people were pissed about it. Um, and then it got to the third one, which kind of bled into Brixton and the Brixton riots and uh, and just how activism... And, and it all links into how activism at that time was so raw. Um, it was just outstanding to think about. Uh, and, how, and how it was all just beautifully linked from one thing to the other... Um, and they got those people, you know, people from New Crossfire to talk about the the march as well of like ten thousand people, and obviously the uh, <clears throat> the um uh, the 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 scuffle. I don't know how you want to call it. Uh, uh, Blackfriars. Um, it was. It's just. It was just so good, right? But then I, but then I watched um, Snowfall, uh, which I'm uh, which I've been trying to get through the past year. Um, I watched like the first two seasons uh, in, uh, in the winter, and then I just uh, dipped off. And then I, uh, I've been watching. I've, I've completed season three so far, and I've just uh, started season four. Um, but in season three, there's this a little part of the storyline um, where uh, Franklin um, and his father, who used uh, who was an ex uh, ex uh, Black Panther, um, basically talking about the CIA and uh franklin you know getting whiff of the fact that reed thompson quote unquote is a uh, is you know cia and uh you know franklin obviously just wants to get that information up uh, get that one up right um so he you know gets someone to follow reed and he get he gets like mad information and he goes to a, a scene is this great it's great scene where he goes to a library and just spends all day um, researching CIA and like uh, American covert ops and how they, you know, uh, just you know, topple governments, right, and stuff like that. Um, it's very, it's a very fascinating and very enlightening scene, and it really just it linked it. The fact that I watched Uprising and then that, and then they literally were talking about that because obviously, because if you've watched Snowfall, it's not 
it's it's a very interesting that 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 side of it is very fascinating because it's talking about the crack era um which obviously is a very low point for black people in America but then you have the black panther party and that kind of movement where you know it's very heralded it's very highly highly regarded and, and for obvious reasons as you know as an empowerment movement and obviously all the other parties around that rainbow coalition etc right um and everything MLK was doing on, uh, on the Christian side uh, and and on the on the non-violent oh, not non-violent but on the uh, you know on the MLK side let's just say that and obviously Malcolm X etc etc um it's so fascinating having those two things inextricably linked um and I would love for that sh- I'd love for the show to link those two things more in that commentary about those you know and that's just 20 years or so like in between right it's like 60s to 80s so you know 15 20 years you know ish um in between those in between those events and eras um and it must be so jarring to think about um but then but then i listened to a podcast called 70 over 70 and uh i watch and basically they uh they do interviews um, with uh you know uh, they they get people in uh of people over 70 to talk about you know being over 70 basically um and uh you know for for the main interview they always get someone of note right um they've recently got uh, they've gotten like a uh, uh andre de shields who's a noted um actor a theater actor uh norman lear comedian right comic uh comic uh comic tv producer tv producer uh dion warwick uh which is obviously very fascinating now considering she's on twitter and you know she's great on twitter jim clyburn dan rather but uh bob Iger. um but i i, I listened to one with nikki giovanni um who uh is a, a noted uh, poet activist um from uh, from around the you know uh, uh segregation era time and uh, she's 78 uh, at the time of this uh, podcast. And, uh, you know, she talks about uh, letting the youth lead. And that really, that really fascinated me. Because something that I don't think we recognize a lot of the time is that most most of the time the people that are leading these marches uh you know the, these marches that i've told you about uh, during this next segment uh from you know everything past new cross brixton riots etc etc um black panther uh etc etc they're all under 30 most of them are under 30 right and that just i, I don't think we think about that more uh, often I don't think we think about it enough. Um, you know, uh, the people that died in the crossfire were all like kids. They were they're all like uh, I think about uh, uh, definitely under twenty. Um, uh, yeah, definitely under twenty. I know there's a couple and uh, at the age of, like nineteen, eighteen that, that era. Uh, but yeah, my, my, a lot of them were like you know fourteen, twelve, fifteen-ish, right? That that kind of era, teenagers. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, something like uh, Fred Hampton. That dude died at like 21 or something, right? That, that, that's, that's young, right? Um, and, you know, Black Panthers were obviously young uh, as, as, a, as a collective. Um, and, and, you know, 
linking it to something like Extinction Rebellion, right, which is, uh, you know, on the face, very white, very middle class, let's be real, right? Um, they have the time to do all this, because like, I obviously mentioned the week where they're doing a two-week protest, right? I don't have the time to do a two-week protest. And this kind of reverts back to the online activism conversation uh, we had recently. Um, and it really makes me ask a question, uh, what, not what can be done, but can something be done on the level of the Black Panthers, on the level of that march at Blackfriars, where 10,000 people, not just from London, but from Liverpool, Manchester, etc., right? Obviously, we had last year, right? Um, obviously, we did, and uh, that was very that was very localized, right? It was it wasn't um, well not localized, but very um, national. But the marches themselves were very localized, right? They had if you wanted to go to one, you could go to one in your local town, right? Or you can go to a local city over. So it's, it wasn't it was you didn't have to go to there wasn't just one march in London, right? Um, like in the Blackfriars uh, march, there wasn't just that. Um, there was ones that there was it was everywhere Bristol Liverpool Manchester I shit I had one in South End right it's this it's I went to a super local one right and uh, I think I I don't know whether that uh, I I I don't know whether that's um, better right I I guess it is um, yeah I, I guess it is you know for 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 something. Um, and obviously the news covers the big ones, like, like London, whatever, like, uh, especially last year, there were a lot of good London ones, um, very large, uh, but I just, I, I see the, you know, I, I saw Snowfall, I watched Uprising, I was listening to Nikki Giovanni, and, you know, just the thing she said about le- allowing, like, she can't, she doesn't, she decides not to lead, quote-unquote, right, because she, well, for one thing, she can't you know, do it anymore, right, um, she's 78, right, why would you, you know, I'm not expecting Nikki Giovanni to be a leader of, uh, in need of anything, um, you know, in terms of activism, but in our climate right now, I, I, I can't, I can't see anyone, like, at the age of 20, 21, so to speak, and, you know, linking to someone like Fred Hampton, I can't see anybody doing that now, I, I just can't, and I find that a bit sad that I can't imagine someone being such a great leader at that young age and, or, or just having a collective people at that kind of age leading the march to these things consistently. Like, just look at now. Like, you know, we had the marches last year, right? And that was all well and good. But like I said at that time, what happens after all this? We're just going to go back to work. We're just going to go back to doing what we're doing. And largely, yes. It's what I feared. Um, so I, I just find, I just, I always find the, the reverence we have towards those events in that era of, you know, the eight, 80s UK uh, and the 60s America, um, 60s, 70s America. And I just, um, I just find it, I always find it interesting. And it's always, uh, and it's, uh, and every, every, every time I, 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 you know, feel like we should have something of this nature, this community aspect, 
Um, I, I, I low-key talked about it with Richard Okorage a few a, a month or so back. Um, what will it take? You know, that's always the question I have in my head. What will it take for something like, for 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 something like, uh, for something like the new Crossfire, for example? What did it ha- does it have to be that? Because we had Grenfell. Did it didn't take that? You know, we we obviously we uh, I I know a lot of people that still talk about it. We have the you know Grenfell Day of the Fire, and people go there and you know have a vigil. Um, and that's great. But who's gonna, who's gonna be that action person? And I don't think I don't think we're in the in the place in life in society where you know somebody can do that. I'd like to be proven wrong, but I'm not sure. I'll leave it at that. Ladies and gentlemen, for the fifth in podcast network, Kyber Chaito and this has been Moscow. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his link in the full show notes. Thanks to Chill Breakers for the ability to use the track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. Just hit the full show notes, guys, basically. <laughs> and with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. Until the next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.